Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are EOB and producer Flood to talk about how they recorded and produced the album Earth. EOB, otherwise known as Ed O'Brien, is an English musician and songwriter best known as the guitarist and backing vocalist in the internationally celebrated band Radiohead. Growing up, Ed heavily immersed himself in the worlds of post-punk and new wave, and in 1985, formed the band that would go on to become Radiohead with school friends Tom York, Colin Greenwood, Johnny Greenwood and Philip Selway. Since then, Radiohead have established themselves as one of the most influential and innovative bands of their time, with Ed's unique atmospheric guitar sounds and textures contributing to their distinctive sound. In 2019, having spent several years working on his own music during downtime from Radiohead, Ed launched his solo project, EOB, with the single Santa Teresa on Capitol Records, and his debut album, Earth, followed shortly afterwards in April 2020, working alongside super producers Flood and Catherine Marks. Mark Ellis, better known by his professional pseudonym Flood, is a producer, engineer and musician from London, whose almost 40 years in the music industry has seen him establish himself as one of the most successful and prolific producers of his generation. Flood began his studio career working as a runner at Morgan Studios in Wilsdon, London, and after taking on various freelance roles, gained assistant engineer and engineer credits with bands such as New Order and Ministry. His first big commercial break came in 1987, engineering U2's The Joshua Tree alongside producers Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois. Moving into the producer's seat, he began working on records for bands including Depeche Mode, Nine Inch Nails, The Smashing Pumpkins, as well as on further records with U2. More recently, Flood has worked with artists including The Killers, Goldfrapp, Sigaross and the Mercury-winning album Let England Shake by PJ Harvey. And in 2014, he won Producer of the Year at the Brit Awards for his work on Foles' Holy Fire, alongside long-term collaborator Alan Mulder. Today, I'm here at Assault and Battery Studios in northwest London, and I'm joined by Ed O'Brien and Flood to talk about how Earth was recorded and produced. And what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record. This is Mass. It is EOB with Mass, and I'm very pleased to say that EOB, Ed O'Brien, is sat with me. Hello, Ed. Hello, John. As is Flood, the producer of the Earth album by EOB, and we're all sat 
an amazing rare in-person appearance over the last few months in Assault and Battery Studios in Willesden in northwest London. Is that technically correct? Yep. Yeah, and uh, we're going to be talking about some tracks from the Earth album that you put together. Now, it seems to me that this was quite a long process, that this album actually began quite a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, personally, it sort of began in 2013 when I started writing the songs. I was out in Brazil, living out there, really inspired by the journey and the time out there. And then when I got back to Britain in summer of 2013, suddenly all this sort of music came out and I started to demo it. And then the reason it's taken so long is because in 2014 I had demoed about 11 or 12 songs and I was ready to record it. And that's precisely the moment where I go into the studio with Radiohead to record a moonshaped pool and then enter a three-year cycle from 2014 through to 2017. And we did more touring in 2018. So, you know, Flood and I didn't start working together. We were talked and all that stuff, but it was the autumn of 2017. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was when the first discussions between the two of you about recording an album together happened. They happened earlier. Than oh, they, they'd have, yeah, you'd already yeah. had a chat yeah, before. They'd, yeah, they'd been going on middle of 15. Yeah. <laughs> School playgrounds, basically. School gates. Yes. Right. You have kids looked, at the same school. Yes. Yeah. And so we looked each other in the eye. Yeah. It said, fancy having him listen. So I did. And then for various different reasons, we didn't discuss it further until I completely, by chance, listened to one of the demos that come up randomly on my iTunes. I don't remember this. Who's this? And it was Ed. So I sort of phoned Ed up. I said, I really like those demos. Have you done anything? And Ed's going, well, no, I'm in the middle of Radiohead. So they've parked for a bit. So I went, and then led on to Ed going, shall I come down and, you know, do you want to have a listen properly? Yeah, yeah. The thing that I needed was I got into this place with the demos that I really liked them and I played them to my family. But, you know, Flood and I become friends, you know, our families are friends. We'd all holiday together and I needed really good counsel. And I knew through our mutual love of music and the conversations we have that he would give it to me. I also was hoping that I didn't want to lay this on him, that he want to do the record. But I didn't want to put any pressure on our friendship because... You know, I don't want to go like, and hey, would you like to produce my record, please, Flood? <laughs> no. You know, and, he'd be like, and he would go, no. But he would do it in a nice way and he might feel bad about it, but he probably wouldn't. But um, so for me, it was really important. I said to him, I said, listen, and, and he said, come down. It was in the other studio here. And, you know, I was playing it to him and, and I just wanted his feedback. And then I think it's after we played Banksters or... I was sort of fishing. I said, well, of course, what I really need to is I need to work with a great producer. The sounds are really important, what I'm talking about. And you turned around and you went, do you want me to do it? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, fuck yeah. You know, that was like, that was the dream ticket. But I didn't want to put pressure on him or our friendship by, he had to come to the point where you were excited or you were into it. There's no way it was going to work any other way. Yeah. And isn't it great? I mean, for me, I think one of the positives about the random nature of iTunes or equivalent is the way they throw things up by chance. And you hear it in a different way, don't you? Because you kind of think, and sometimes if you're not sure what it is, it lures you in and you think, oh, I'm interested in this. And that had that effect for you, which is kind of nice because it's almost like a, a true reaction. 
Especially when you're involved in music and surrounded by music, it's very hard to get a true reaction. And uh, this happened to you, which I really like the sound of. So kind of by chance, some kind of strange fishing had happened. Yeah. And, and you'd caught your fish, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and then you reeled him in when you brought in yeah. the other song. <laughs> well, there was a bit of a fight on the line, wasn't there? <laughs> Sorry. But it was, again, it was a very, very interesting project from my point of view. I've never, ever worked with somebody who's been a friend before I've worked with them. There's work the other way around. So even though I run totally on instinct, so I sit in the studio and listening to stuff, going, yeah, I get this. Yes, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I hadn't thought about that side. Mm. Started as it goes along, I started to sort of go, hmm, is this going to be an issue? Is it not? So there are a lot of things that even before we'd started doing any work together were very different, certainly from my point of view in approaching a record. Yeah. So the first song we're going to look at is Brazil, yeah. which seems timely in that you've already mentioned Brazil mm-hmm. and the fact that you went and lived over yeah. in Brazil and coming back from there in 2013, all these songs came out, all this music came yeah. out. Was Brazil one of those songs? Yeah, it was. It has two parts to it, essentially. And the first part is the kind of the pastoral, I would call it very British, very Celtic, I thought, because a lot of this stuff was written in Wales was going out to Wales and I rented a cottage and took my acoustic guitar but also took my pedals and my amp and electric guitar. So there was that element of it and what I wanted to do, I wanted to take this small intimate song but I wanted it to sort of blow up into this kind of carnival trance. I've been calling it recently gospel trance. There's this kind of when we were living out in Brazil, we went to Carnival, we went to Rio, we went, did the whole Carnival experience, went to the Sambadrome. And I was so inspired by that time out there because that music was, it was so human, it was so rhythmic, it was so from the heart. It was like this enormous outpouring of, for want of better words, love and light. And it's such a powerful thing because what you've got to remember in Carnival is Brazil's a hard country for a lot of people to live in. And the people in these samba parades have been, the samba schools have been preparing all year to do this. So this is their moment to shine amongst the rest of the shit of their lives or some of the shit, you know, the hard lives that they live. They're like gods and goddesses. So this music, this samba, which is, it's trance. It's essentially trance and it's polyrhythmic trance. So where you get all the movement, the melody, it's a cycle and it'll go on for an hour and a quarter because that's how long they parade for. The whole parade goes down. But what you get is the polyrhythms and the rhythms, and that's what they call the bateria. And that's where the Brazilians, it's like rhythmic jazz, they're applauding because they're understanding some polyrhythm that's audacious or daring or, you know. And I was so inspired by this. I was like, well, somehow this is what I want to get into the music. And this song in particular, I like this idea of taking this song and it's in 5-4, which is acoustic part, and then turning it into a like a four-four, four on the floor, and then watching this thing build. So when I went in to demo it, it was one of the first things I demoed. I went, I had a great demo experience in a great studio in Oxfordshire, Courtyard Studios with Ian Davenport, who produces a lot of co-produced a lot of Gaz Coombs' stuff, and um, I've known Ian for years, years and years. He's, and it was a really important phase for me because we built up these. It was him and I. 
I said, I got these songs and he really helped me to facilitate what I was, what I wanted to do. Yeah. So what I could do is I could play you a bit at the beginning of the song, which is probably not too unlike, it's very similar to what you hear and then I'll go into the transition or whatever. Yeah, that would be great. Okay, so here's the, the intro and it's got the field recordings. This bad dream has got me. Slightly dodgy vocal because this I hadn't really sung before. Yeah. For Apart from backing vocals. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah. And not many in the studio either. Right. So you get the idea of it. I mean, it's very true to the original, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So if we fast forward to, let's go here, end of this section. So again, I'm sort of figuring out how to get it from the 5-4 to the 4-4. And Ian was very good at this. He sort of did a bit of Pro Tools cutting and pasting here. Oh, you played it just like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kick from a, my boss, trusty boss, looping pedal. I didn't have a drum machine. It was all from the looping pedal that I right. had. Bass from Colin. Colin came in and played bass on right. this as well. So this is Colin Greenwood just for... Yeah, I said, can you come in and play bass? And and he did that afternoon. It was great. And I asked him another afternoon whether he'd come and play and he couldn't. So I played it. And then I realised I love playing bass. Right. <laughs> He's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it's it's the kind of trance like you get the you get the vibe. Mm. And these, this chord that's being built is layered sustained guitar, which is kind of what I do a lot in Radiohead. Mm. And it's just multi-tracked, kind of building this big sound. So any bass we're hearing this is Colin. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, the idea was kind of like this epic sound. You know, it's a funny word when you use the epic because it's kind of, it can have bad connotations, but it's almost like the epicness of life that can some, you can sometimes feel, the big, and I wanted it to be kind of widescreen here, it being very intimate. And that's what I was hoping for the record, that it would have these moments of intricacy and intimacy and then it would expand to be this sort of, yeah. It's funny because the way you described it yeah. was, because the first part is about passing or death. Yeah. To be quite intimate. But then it's a bit like you're at uh, the festival. Yeah. And when you come out from your tent, <laughs> then you hear 
yeah. and the bass in the distance. Yeah. And you want to go and see what that's all about. And that always stuck with me. Really? Gosh, I've forgotten that. Yeah. Well, and it's good you raised that because also I had a real thing about, I'm very interested in, in the big questions of life. I, death, what happens? And I got really obsessed with reading about near-death experiences. And I also sort of, I very much subscribe to the whole reincarnation doctrine. For me, personally, it makes a lot of sense. And I've read a lot and all sorts. And I wanted this idea, like you said, of the first part is of suffering and this seemingly of coming to an end. But what I was reading in near-death experiences that almost the universal experience that people have come back is this incredible feeling of beauty and comfort and feeling of being loved and love. So that's kind of what I was also trying to do in the music, kind of convey this journey in the music. Yeah, yeah, which you definitely feel. I'm amazed at just how fully realised your idea. Do you know what? I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's pretty fully realised, just in terms of the, the map of the song and what you went on to record. It's quite interesting that there's so much already there. And it's also interesting that contrast between some of the meaning of what you're doing with that song and some of the inspirations you had mm. through Carnival and through Samba in Brazil, because you know, those lyrical discussions there aren't necessarily what you would get out of watching the carnival go by. Yeah. No, um, it's a different kind of thing, but I guess it's the energy. It's the feeling. Yeah. A lot yeah. of the time, what I'm, I would say this to you, I'm like, it's a feeling. It's, yeah, yeah, it's totally. how I feel. I'm not trying to be specific. I'm, and like when Alan was mixing, I couldn't explain. I said, it's just got to be wooden, more kind of like of the earth, more like Bill Withers. As you imagine, Bill Withers would be like, you know, in his workshop making, because <laughs> yeah. he was a great joiner as well as an amazing musician. Really? Yeah. God bless him. You yeah. know. And that's why we've bonded so massively because yeah. you have the same thing. We feel stuff and he has the technical know-how and the backing to understand how to realise that. But he knows about how things feel. And I'm just going to blow some smoke up your ass right now. Um, one <laughs> of the, you know, you've been doing this since the early 80s, haven't you? And it's very rare as someone in the music industry to find somebody who's a producer who's still in there and still feels and is still as passionate. And, you know, it doesn't happen because a lot of people get burnt out understandably, and we all get burnt out at times. But the thing is, what I realised is through the friendship part before I even, you know, I knew what, f I'm like Flood's biggest fan in terms of the record he's made with Polly Harvey, The Pumpkins, Depeche, U2, all that stuff. Like when I first met him, I was in awe and, and I was like, hi. <laughs> but what I had to figure out, the other thing he'd made the record with Foles, Holy Fire. And I loved that. But what I had to figure out is, is he still feeling it? And more so than ever. So yeah, anyway, I've digressed as I always do. <laughs> <laughs> but it, what's really interesting is that I'm sure, as you rightly pointed out, people are hearing this and going, well, yeah. I mean, why did you spend all that time in the studio just polishing something that's already set? <laughs> and as Ed said at the beginning, he really loved his demos. Yeah. And part of my job as a producer is to help take everything that's the essence from the demo that you love and make it bigger, wider, deeper. So with this particular one, 
I believe the acoustic guitar is the same. Yeah. So this is something, this is a very postmodernist approach to the dilemma of the demo, which is the nice handy sound bite. Yeah. <laughs> the dilemma of the demo. <laughs> and I have to thank Polly Harvey for uh, making me uh, sort of think about things laterally. So Polly, sure she did all remind me saying, just loves her demos because they're the total essence as did ed it's the moment of inspiration absolutely and that's the key you get this kind of fire you're so excited at this about the potential so over the years i have tried to create environments that make musicians feel as though they're in that point of inception but until working with polly i'd always recorded things separately so like let's go to the studio and wondered why is it we're spending about 15 hours on this one guitar sound and you all said it took like five minutes and you just boshed it off okay there's got to be a different way let's work on top of the demo usually they get four track you know and maybe even just a stereo recording so that's what we did so we laid that down in its entirety and use that as a bed so again you're thinking wow mm. really what did they do <laughs> there was a lot. well hopefully you're going to illustrate this yeah no, you're going well, to we also used us. we used that sustained guitars that was all used because that was a performance thing and for me you know why do i want to work with some of the flood because that felt two-dimensional it had to get three-dimensional and also a big thing for me is vocals I was supremely unconfident about my vocals because initially when I wrote these tracks, I thought someone else might sing them. But then in the process of demoing them, I suddenly thought, well, maybe I can do it. But I knew I had to have somebody who had that experience who could sort of hold my hand through it, but also wouldn't let anything get through that was substandard. And that to me was really important. And you were amazingly reassuring as well. You were like, Oh, and I won't mention his name. So and so took 15 hours to do that vocal. I'm like, oh, phew, okay. And he was sat in his underpants. <laughs> <laughs> so it, I needed, because I said to Flood as well, one of the other things I said, like, I said, you know that record like you made with Foles, Holy Fire? I want to make a record like that. How do we do that? And how long is this going to take? And you went, well, oh, about nine months. And I said, how much money? And he gave me a figure. Okay, we'll do that. And so here again, I'm kind of answering your question why. I wanted to go on a journey. I'm used to that. With Radiohead, it's always a journey, and it's a very similar journey that you start off with a great flourish and you've got good ideas, and then you start going what I call into the sonic trenches, and it gets hard. But in that part when it gets tough, you're, you lose your way because you lose sight of, like, I lost sight of the demos. So we did, so when we convened in autumn 2017 we did mobile recording in this big welsh house called plastinum we had a house band an amazing house band so this a is the, there's a nice little film about the making of the album yeah and that is filmed there yeah and we thought like start the record off get a bunch of musicians do some versions of songs and that will propel us forward at a great rate of you know knots or whatever ed i helped feel confidence that that could be one outcome of those sessions. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got this incredible team. So on the production side, as well as Flood, 
we've also got Catherine Marks. So, you know, Catherine... She's been on tape notes as well. There you go. So we've got Catherine and we've got Cecil, who's an incredible engineer who Floods work with and Catherine works with a lot. So I've got the dream production team as far as I'm concerned. It's mobile. We've got... We're recording onto 16-track tape. Yes. Yes, which was amazing. And then my house band, I've got Omar Hakim on drums. <laughs> I've got Nathan East on bass and David Akumo on guitar. <laughs> I mean, I had this mantra in my head. It's just, before we started, it's like, I'm only going to work with the best. And it really was like that. So that's when we got started with the songs. And we, we were trying to get band recordings of a band that had never played together was trying to find its way it was bonkers really because when i look back on it i didn't have a flipping clue what i was <laughs> he did probably <laughs> well yeah i mean <laughs> i did but the way that i'll try and help things along is prepare make sure that you've got all all the equipment you need so for instance this song let's lay the demo down but we're never going to use the word demo in the studio because immediately that takes you into a mindset of it's a demo, it's not really that important. So I said to Ed, well, most of the songs actually, let's use the demo as a basis and we'll work on top of it. Some will redo, some will do in tandem and some will just do, you know, use it as a blueprint. So with this particular one, the acoustic guitar, it goes all the way through and it's identical to the one that Ed's just played. And for a long, long time, it was just that. Yeah. Vocal and everything. And as Ed pointed out, there was a lot of nerves, maybe confidence about singing as a lead vocalist. And because Ed is a brilliant vocalist, but he's occupied the world of the backing vocal, which is about following somebody. So his ear to hold a melody down, keeping time and tune, all of those things are brilliant. And he was having singing lessons. Yeah, okay, you know, I'm not against singing lessons per se, but why? Is it just to, you know, increase the strength of your voice because during the creative process it can get a bit tired? Well, no, and I could see it was for confidence. Mm. So I said, stop them now. I want to hear you sing out of time and out of tune because then that'll be you. Now, again, it sounds very easy and two friends and, you know, oh, yeah, 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 I'll stop them. <laughs> You're not going to be. So things like the vocal on this one, we had to keep there for ages because it was a safety net. Yeah. yeah. But it was never spoken as if it was the safety net. It was so that we could really dig in to the second half. Brilliant. It's going to sound like we're at a rave. So we must about tried everything. Yeah. Everything. And on the rave part, I mean, this second part, we should well, go in. While you're talking, you know, I'll see yeah. if yeah. I've got an original. I've got one from Plastinum Have here. you? Yeah. Oh, please do. So we should, I'll play 20 seconds of this thing. You find another one. So we got to Plastinum. And we figured, like, we won't tackle the beginning. We'll use the band to try and tackle the end section. So this is what we had here. It might surprise you, Flood, as well. <laughs> no, nothing else <laughs> surprised me. <laughs> so that is the band. That's Omar. Uh, right. On drums. That's 
David's going bottle, bottle, bottle. with a classical guitar. That Flood is doing, you're on the ARP, aren't you? Yeah. Nathan's just coming in, he'll come in with a riff. So we, there's, there's five minutes of this. If I, <laughs> we don't need to listen to five minutes, but that's where we got to. And it's, we were vibing. It sounds like you're having a great time. Oh, it was, yeah. And there's a track in there. Yeah. But yeah. it's not the right track. Yeah. So right. if I move forward, slightly forward. So Nathan's playing. Nathan's in now. So who's Nathan played with? Who hasn't he played with? Right. I mean, he's played with Quincy Jones. He's Clapton. Uh, I saw Nathan and Omar playing together because they were the rhythm section on Daft Punk Get Lucky. So when Daft Punk played the Grammys with Pharrell, Nile Rodgers, Stevie Wonder and the Robots, there's a rehearsal tape and it's extraordinary because this band are amazing. And I was demoing at the time, 2013, and I watched it. But, and my thing, I, I love Nile Rodgers, I love Pharrell, Stevie, they're all... G but who's the rhythm session? Oh my God, that's Omar Hakim. I know him from records and Nathan East. And Nathan starts in the 70s. He told me that Barry White took him out on tour when he's like 17. I mean, he's played with Clapton. He's everybody. He yeah. played with everybody. He's an incredible musician. And Omar has as well. I mean, yeah. he's, he's played with Miles Davis. Yeah, he's Let's Dance Bowie. Right. Weather Report when he was a teenager. As and then do. he, yeah, and then he goes <laughs> on and he plays with, I think Nile Rogers asked him originally to be in Chic because they grew up together. He's like, I, I want to do the jazz thing. Yeah. I saw him as well when Kate Bush played at the Hammersmith Apollo recently, not recently, right. a few years ago to that. He was a drummer and she specifically mentions him in her liner notes. She said the first musician she got, she knew she had to have this light at the heart of it and like, it had to be Omar Hakim. Yeah. There are a couple of times where I sort of looked around the room and there were more people who were producers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Ed was just on his own. Yeah. Everybody else was a producer. Yeah. Nathan produced, he did Curiosity Killed the Cat's second record. <laughs> you know, he's like... David Jesse Ware. Yeah, that's right. David Jesse yeah. Ware. David yeah. is a well-known producer. Yeah. yeah, well, we've actually talked to him a couple of times for Tape Notes. Yeah. yeah. And he's an amazing musician and amazing producer. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is an amazing team that you've assembled around it was, you for your debut solo album. But again, it's the classic. Are we Barcelona or are we Madrid? Has everybody come along at the behest of Mr. Ronaldo or does everybody want to play with Mr. Messi? The very, very different. And also this word about feeling. Yeah. Mm. You've got all these great individuals but now you've got to get something that's a whole and then you have to have Ed at the front leading it. Yeah, and that so, was that was funny because I, I thought, like I said when I didn't know what I was doing, it was the biggest, steepest learning curve because, you know, I've only been in one band. I've only been in one musical place and that's Radiohead. And I'd done that for a long time. And I thought, first day, I remember sort of taking my breath, you know, 10 minutes before we start and I'm going... I'm not going to lead, need to give any instruction here. These guys are supreme. And anyway, I've never given instruction to a whole band. You know, that's not what I've done in Radiohead. And then within two hours, I realized I had to give instruction because what I realized very simply is no one could hear the sound in my head. And I know that sounds really stupid. And that's one thing that I had to, 
to sort of trust that. And then for a time, I lost that sound in my head, but I had to reclaim it in order for the record to move forward. And you kept on saying this all along, but all I was being guided by was intuition. I knew that it felt right. I just didn't know how that we get there. And it's only through experience that you go. And I, I would always trust my intuition. But now it's just like, oh, okay. That's why you have to give people. That's why you have to communicate that stuff. Mm. So, you know, it's fairly basic. But So we're in this big house in yeah. Wales with, you know, creme de la creme of session guys. We've got a massive studio set up. Yeah. And, you know, it's first day. So... I'm obviously allowing Ed to sort of find his feet. But before we've even got there, I've had to basically damage limit what could be a possibility, which is that you don't get a cohesive force. At one point, I think I said, Ed, even if we end up with a couple of two-bar loops and we end up having to do it in mine or yours bedrooms, that will be the record. Nobody will know but that will be the journey we go on. Mm. So again, it's that's the worst that could happen. So when Ed's going in for the first time, it's okay. Yeah. There's that umbrella. There's and no pressure. No. I didn't feel any pressure. And that was, you alleviated that completely by saying that. I was like, oh, okay, great. Don't so, feel like you have to, you no. know, use any of this no. if you don't want. And then let's be all in the same room. Yeah. No dividing lines. So everybody's in the big room. And Flood's in the room as well, sits with the musicians, which right. is very unusual for a producer. Most expensive monitor engineer in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I can use my experience of technically, like everybody comes in to listen to it and goes, God, that's so terrible. And I can go, mm, maybe we need to do a little bit of tuning on the snare drum and blah, 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 blah. And then, yeah, then you can do... So you completely take the, the air out of that particular hot air balloon. But also at the same time, you're in the studio with the musicians, hearing what they're hearing, and it does a take, and everybody knows that's the one. Yeah. Or that's got a feeling that we mm. want to listen back to. Yeah. So that then you can hold that information and then go into the control room, and then you can negotiate through it. And it's really important so that it's never seen as the recording process with men and women in white coats. Everything's got to be fluid so that people, they bounce off each other for a period of time until they become comfortable. And then when they're all comfortable, then things start to happen. It's interesting because I'm going to fast forward on this track a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So what happens, we leave Plastinum, so we've got these band recordings and you heard that bit from there we then about three months in 2018 i go on tour in radiohead so we break up so we come to the summer and on this track we were going a bit mad like how we want to get away from the demo and the demo feels too rigid it needs to have more carnival it needs so we i think one of the last things we did in the summer of 2018 we set up and did i wanted this kind of live feel to it that it needed. So we had Cecil and Richie, who's another engineer, Flood, who's a whiz on the System 700, the Roland Modular synth. And this is a, essentially a jam. And I'm doing the vocals. Flood has processed my vocals through the Eventide H3000. Okay. So this is a jam 
here it's in a assault and battery, upstairs. upstairs in a sort of battery, with none of the stuff that was recorded in um, Plastanim. Well, or... actually, for instance, the bass there mm. is actually a processing. Yeah. On the bass that you did. Yeah. And we've got the the demo just as a template underneath, just for timing reference. And then, I think Cecil had his MPC, yeah. which has got a lot of the carnival stuff, mm. carnival loots. Um, Richie, he's got... Uh, the biscuit. The biscuit and uh, the electron machine yeah. that cuts everything up. And he's running a load of samples and loops. And then I'm on the System 700 doing... Oh, kills me again, just to sell a death race. And <laughs> Ed's, he's singing, doing vocals. And... Whilst we were sort of mucking around, getting into it, um, there was this, I was playing around with an effect on Ed's voice. And it was just one of those things that uh, came to light. I hope you can hear it. Yeah, this, just this. So that's Ed, he's triggering that effect. And I was literally just mucking around with it on the side. And everybody went, oh, oh, leave it, leave it, stop yeah. fiddling. And this became like a weird cousin to the original sustained guitars. So these two things became the bed that was like the mood. Yeah. So then we could concentrate on the rhythmic stuff, which had tended to get a little bit sort of overshadowed. It was neither taking the essence of Carnival and putting it on dance or the other way around, or we'd faffed around, basically. I hold full responsibility. <laughs> so this is all going on underneath and everybody's getting really excited, which then allows a complete live version of... So this, that's just a mix down of effectively about three people all just playing live. Yeah. Buttoning in and out loops, EQing effects. And they went on for 20 minutes. Oh yeah. We'd, uh, the night before we'd done about a three or four hour. And we tried to take that stuff and make form of it because it, it was a jam essentially. It was longer than the original. The other one had form. This goes on. So we start working on that and trying to find some form. And I've got these vocal things that I don't know if you remember this, Flood. Oh, yeah. So it became, play a bit of this now. Sort of gossip, we hear the, these vocals. And that's all you, Yeah. Ed. And we'd yeah. spent, I mean, it must have been a good day. Yeah, doing Just this. like, let's have more, another harmony. Let's do this. Yeah. Like, but there, was, there wasn't a total shape to the arrangement so did a couple of mix downs of the jam which had all these vocals on top so tried to get an arrangement of the vocals out of doing a mix of the jam and the vocals well what happened so when alan came to mix the records at the end of the year we had this version and everything else sounded great and then the last that was the last day and I said to Flood, I said, we don't have Brazil. I said, it's, it's even better than that. 
we've gone home. Right. You phoned me and I've said, I know, before you'd even yeah. said it. I mean, both of us yeah, we knew. knew it wasn't finished, even it, though everybody goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It finished. would be very easy. It's very easy to kind of go, oh, it's the path of least resistance. You go like, it's done. Because you know what? To finish this song requires a lot of energy. Yeah. It requires a, a rethink. It's just like, oh, fuck, how are we going to do this? And it was interesting because what happened for me was like, I played some of the mixes to Susan, my wife, and some friends. And as we were playing Brazil, I was going, we're going to have to redo this because Flood says, okay, we'll reconvene in January. And as I'm playing this, I'm going like, mm, it's not right. And then I go, actually, do you know what? Maybe I'll play you the demo. And when I heard the demo, the form of it, it was just like, okay, that form is great. And I also found another riff, which was the chimey guitar riff, which I when have. I was up in my room, which I was playing around, I knew it needed something else. It's a very me riff. It's something I do a lot in Radiohead. It's a riff that can run through everything and that is kind of celestial and repetitive. And he comes in and goes, oh, I've got this riff. And he starts playing that, thank you, yeah. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, triple track it, you know, that's in mono, it's in three, there are three of them. And that's the glue, that's the last bit of, if you like, magic. And when we came in, it was just like, okay, right, we've got the demo version and the form. What we're going to do is that second half, we're basically just going to repeat that second half. The first bit's going to have the vocal in it. The second bit is going to have, it's like divine trance. It's getting into that trance carnival thing. And it happened really quickly. And I think what's interesting about it is, for me, the biggest lesson I learned on this record is, what's your truth? What do you really feel? What's the truth here? Because I listened to the stuff in September of 2018. I was like, I'm, this sounds awful to me. There's too much going on. It's like blah, blah, blah. And Flood had been telling me for the long time, he said, you've got to lead this. And I'd sort of been a little bit, not overawed, but I didn't want to impose myself on the thing, right? And the moment I was like, right, we need to do this, this, I like this, I like this from that version. I went through all the different versions. And that last six weeks, just everything came together. Totally, totally. And there's a huge leap of faith almost that Ed had to take from the start of the record to the end, which is if you're on a stage, the distance between being a backing vocalist and a lead vocalist, about 15 foot. And that 15 foot is the distance that Ed had to go literally, but metaphorically, metaphysically, everything else, it's huge. Yeah. That's why the record took so long. Yeah. Because it has to come from Ed, with inside Ed, that is nothing to do with his head. And Ed's got a lovely head. <laughs> Ed does. It's a very, very vital part. Yeah. Um, but useless at this juncture. It's got to come from his heart. Yeah. And the moment something comes from somebody's heart, everybody listens. And they feel. They don't think, they feel. And you get an instant reaction, an equal and opposite reaction. People are like, uh, yeah, I'll start doing something. And who knows why you're doing it? Or I hate, you know, it's really opposites, but it will be creative. It won't be destructive. And when he came out and said, right, I've been away, 
we've been sodding about this is what we needs to happen he started playing shangri-la shangri-la the yeah. wang, wang, wang yeah. part of course everybody knows what i mean yeah and it was just like oh yeah of course that's what's been missing so for ed another big pointer that had happened was when he heard brazil through his wife and his friend's ears he heard it for the first time mm. again as a truth to himself so it's a thing that i do a lot in the studio which is people will go um fancy uh, can i come down and have a listen or you know even the uh, dreaded record companies <laughs> um <laughs> they have a purpose but they'll come in <laughs> they only pay for it <laughs> yeah anybody can do that <laughs> which you did yeah yeah that's true he put his money where his mouth was and i had to take it out because it was causing a lot of problems with diction um <laughs> but uh, somebody will come in from the outside who has no emotional attachment to the individual parts but just hears it as an emotional altogether and their instant sort of feeling it can be boredom you can you can see somebody from behind they're ready tapping along they're not really into it you can feel it totally even if they're like that's story. really important and so you saw it yeah or felt it yeah and, and i also but the other thing that i had to do the thing that i realized is these songs were written that inspiration phase was back in 2013 and it's all about a feeling and it was a feeling of well, there's a joy there's a warmth that comes from a warm place but there's also the the melancholy in there and then i go into the radiohead cycle and i kind of lose track of that feeling because i'm in a different world i've got a different role and so for me the really hard bit was not only stepping forward but it was to these songs had an emotion to them how do i reclaim that i was lucky because we went to south america on tour and i remember being back in brazil hadn't been and i felt that thing oh yeah that color it was that it was getting back to that feeling but also like you said sort of knowing okay this is what i have to do but it, it i hope you know it's i don't hope but i know next time you record the vocal you do the song all in the heat of the moment you don't wait four years because looking back on it, it was really hard to just find that emotional space because the songs that i write so much of it is from the emotional spaces the emotion that i have when i write it or i feel it if that's not in there genuinely and authentically then it can sound like a crock of shit you know really and it's just a load of notes the uh, spray paint yeah spray painting those turds gold yeah and you know <laughs> so that was a big part so by January we had it done and it was I was so happy with it because it's like it had all the breadth of our jam sessions that Flood, Richie and Cecil had played on. It got the colour and it had got the essence of the demo. You know, it got that feeling. So in many ways, it's also another mantra of mine is trust in the way. You know, sometimes you do lose your way, but you trust that if you've got the right intention, you will get there. Yeah, absolutely. It's a if you don't give up on the song so we're sitting there it's christmas everybody else is going well hey the album's finished and both of us are going no it's not no and do you really want this song on the record do you really want it i yeah. think there's something in there but i'm ready to chop it yeah it's like it's which, like, I'll, which i'll do yeah. to provoke a reaction but i couldn't be happy even though we had eight of the tracks 
get to a place that I, an Olympic, which was my kind of favourite, was was sounding. I'm not happy until all my babies are, you know. And it is it's that feeling, and and that's also a very Radiohead thing. Is you don't give up until you cross that line. You don't stop, and it's, you know, everybody who's recorded knows it's an amazing thing, but it involves a lot of energy. It's a bit like when you're standing there making decision emotionally it can it feels like a mountain but when you actually decide what you're going to do you'll decide oh my goodness gracious me there's a jet propelled backpack yeah. waiting for me <laughs> because when you're in the moment you made the decision yeah. bush yeah. momentum decisions they just go yeah because it's true it's truth exactly and that's yeah. the key isn't it the truth gives you the backpack yeah. <laughs> the jet backpack. That's right. Yeah. You're not really bothered about the level no. of the car. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes that can really irritate me. Yeah. <laughs> should we do another song? We should. So um, yeah. maybe we should wrap up Brazil yeah. with, I guess, the master or a section of the master uh, yeah. that represents all of these things. Because in effect, what you've told us, you know, this journey that you had to go on, particularly with this song, was all these different phases with, with the, the creme de la creme band to, to kind of yeah. collage it together in a way. But you had to create all those parts of the collage in order yeah, to yeah. realize that. And those last parts were those guitar parts. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe go from that part. Mm. So as it starts off, and then we've got various members of the bass fraternity. And then we've got some of the guitars lurking in the background. We've got the H3000 drones. And we've got some of the little spacey guitars, rising guitar, here we go. And is that bass drum, is that or kick drum, is that still the loop pedal? No, no. No, that is many bass drums yeah. amalgamated together. However, finding out that this loop station was the core of so many of these songs, again, people think machines don't have feelings. Wrong. We did about three songs yeah. before I went, what's wrong? Ah. Did you do all these on a looping pedal that's got its own time? Oh, yeah. right. And it's the Boss looping station that I used for writing all the stuff when I was when I was writing this. It's just got such a great feel. So then we could we got the we got the brain back. Yeah. yeah. And we just we got the spirit, and then you know there are plenty of men and women in the trenches who can do the. Uh, the so this version you can hear it's got the sustain guitars from the demo, all the rhythmic stuff. The carnival stuff, Richie and Cecil's from our jam in the summer, the new chimey guitar. Yeah. And the vocal, I think, is from the demo as well, this part, wasn't it? Part of it is, yeah. Um, these are all just a stem. Yeah. And 
when we had this, I'm like, I remember in jam, I'm like, yeah, this is what I wanted. It's like, because carnival's like trance. Yeah. I love trance music, but I want it to be like trance that sounded like it was played by real musicians. Yeah. That's pretty much the full kit and caboodle yeah. from the original. And what, what do you sing? What are you singing there? Oh, that's on, mysterious. It, on, it sounds to me like Feel the Love. Yeah, Feel yeah, the Love. Feel the Love. I wanted it to be slightly ambiguous, but it was basically Feel the Love, Feel the Love Falling. Right. I was kind of that euphoria, like that's what I felt like standing there in Carnival. You're just like, fuck, I feel like there's so much love here. Yeah. You know, it's like, it was like the great rave. <laughs> so that sound. David Akumu from the original from, from Plastinum. Wow. And that's a classical guitar. Like, I don't know how, how he, he got that sound. <laughs> He's got my playing my Spanish guitar. That's right. It's great that all the different elements are represented. They're all in there. Yeah, they're all in there in different ways. Yeah. yeah. And as you said right at the beginning, you know, that if this is the journey that we have to go on, then this is this yeah. is the journey that we have to go on. Well, the, the big thing is without the trials and tribulations, you wouldn't arrive at the finished article because yeah. you wouldn't be being truthful. If you just came in and went, sure, let's slap the demo down. Yeah, rock and roll. For me, sorry, it doesn't do it. Why are we here then? I don't want to kick back. I want to find out what it is that's this track. Yeah. What does it mean? So the idea of going, I'm ready to chop this from the record. Partially it's out of frustration, but the real thing is to, what does Ed feel? Mm. He's got to fight for the song. It's nothing to do with me, nothing to do with all the people who've worked on it. It's your song. You gonna fight for it? Yeah. Obviously not as contentiously as that, yeah, but yeah. it means that Ed's really got to dig in there and it'll be a feeling. And by the end of the records, everybody is such unique personalities and yet the record had come out of all of this and it was Ed's record. Yeah. Yeah. Which was the whole objective. Yeah, yeah. I know it sounds really simple, but it was and, and I realise... It was authentic. What came out was what was in my head back in 2013. And that's not an easy thing to do. You know, time, but also just the amount of work. Stuff and in Ed's head. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. It was long, but it was a, a brilliant journey. Because mm. shock horror. It's actually good fun making a record. Yeah. And then there, there are hard days. Yeah. There are days when you really do realise that it's not the light at the end of the tunnel. It's actually a brick wall with a dot of paint on it that you're just banging your head <laughs> against. But it shouldn't be daggers. No. Because that's not being honest. No. That's somebody yeah. holding back something. And that stuff usually comes from insecurities in the yeah. studio and people not communicating. You know, it's funny, Flood never worked with a friend. I've only worked with friends. You know, the band are friends. I couldn't imagine work. I couldn't have, there has to be, there has to be love in it, you know, for me. I have to love my team. That's a really important part. And I really, I feel very blessed. I really love my team and I love the musicians. So I'm sensitive, you know, I don't, I can't be with arseholes. 
and there are a lot of arseholes in the music industry. So, you know, I think it's interesting, back to that thing of one thing, when you work with great people, there's a reason they're great. Not only are they great what they do, they're always humble. And that was the thing about everybody that I worked with. I remember Alan saying to me at the end, we got the mixes and, you know, he's pleased because he's got the mixes he's happy with and Flood and I are happy. And we were like, Alan goes, I don't really know what I'm doing. And you used to say that as well. And these guys, they do what, know what they're doing, but they're humble because they know that each time it's like they don't bring their past with them in terms of, you know, the glory of the things that they've done. Every time they're on the line with the project that they do, they put heart and soul into it. And that brings humility. You're only as good as the last thing that you've done. And anyway, you're not thinking about the last thing you've done. You're, th you're only as good as what you're doing right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really? Ultimately, there isn't failure no. if you're truth. Yeah. So at the beginning, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail. Right. Stop that. You're not going to fail. I am going to fail. And you have to go through the whole process of removing the concept of failure, but not allowing everybody to become godlike. Yeah. No because, egos. Which is the other pitfall. Yeah. Oh, no. No egos. No, we do it like this, yeah. which is a lack of humility. Yeah. Because ultimately the project, the song, whatever it is, the process, that's all bigger than all the people involved. Each person only has a, a small part to play, but surely all art is about human beings interacting with each other, be it the audience, be it the people doing it, being the person looking in a museum at a picture, you know, whatever it mm. is. So if you remove that and place a load of computers in the way, then suddenly, is it really art? Are you doing your job? Are you being truthful? And it's very hard yeah. to be that honest all the time. Big questions. I know. And shut up. Oh, God. My speech <laughs> is gone now. <laughs> Now we're going to move from Brazil to another song from yeah. the album. So where do we start with Olympic? Would it be good to start at the very beginning? I, I, <laughs> I always so. like to start at the beginning. <laughs> oh, the but very, the interesting, very, very beginning. interesting yeah. thing is that it's another epic track. It's another yeah. eight minute plus song. I know. I realise this. This is one of the things that are happening with the songs that I realised they were very long. I don't know why, but I guess it might go back to kind of like my thing for dance music, establishing a groove trance hypnotic repetition journeys i like journeys and music i didn't this for me as a track on the record this i thought would be the hardest to do and this for me was the mother track it was the one that was written last and what happened was that i think 2014 it started <laughs> it started with a riff <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I heard that in my head before and I thought, shall I sing that? No, I won't, but I did. Um, it started with a riff that I came up with. You know, a lot of stuff comes with me playing the guitar, but this was not an acoustic like a lot of the other stuff had happened. And in my head, it, I wanted it to sound like 808 State. So hence it's Olympic with a K, which was Cubic, yeah. which was an 808 State song that I loved. And of course, K is, if you're going back to ancient Greek spelling, the K is the C as well. So actually, there's a kind of authenticity with Olympic, Greece, the ancient Greeks, right. it would have been a K. So there were three parts to this that I had. Yeah. And I had no vocals. And this is the earliest kind of, I just had these parts here. So it's like this. You've got the looping pedal. 
the boss looping pedal, bit out of tune guitar. <laughs> so it goes round like that and then the major part. So I got that and I knew that was going to be the kind of like the verse. So the next bit I've, I've got a chorusy bit I think which goes something like this. So this is the chorus, quite simple. And then I have this, this other bit, which is sort of bit... It's a transition from the chorus into this other bit. And I love this guitar when this came out. It's a guitar with like a delay and a whammy pedal and the intervals that I'm using and this... It's like... I was so excited about this. But... This is all I had. This is the start. So you can hear that in the middle eight. And this recording, is this you putting all these ideas together once you've come up with them? Or is this you actually starting the Boss loop pedal and then just playing on top? Yeah, just playing on top. Right, wow. So that's a productive reaction. Yeah. You come up with loads of different ideas. Instantly. Oh no, sorry. Oh. No, not all of those things at the same time. So I had the initial bit was the um, the first bit you heard, then I had the chorus, bow, and this bow, was the last bow, bow. Mm. Yeah. So this part would have come up in me trying to expand what I already had. Yeah. Or it would have been another jam and I'd put it together. Yeah. So I've got that, and about a year later I'm on tour with Radiohead and I, I kind of, I'm hearing this and I remember I was in Iceland and I'm playing it because that's what I do a lot. I play, you know, got a riff. How do you find a top line melody? I remember reading about what Michael Stipe used to do with R.E.M., like the guys who do the backing tracks and he would get the tape of it and he'd put it in his car. He drove an old Volvo and put it in the cassette player and he'd just drive around and that's how he got his top line melodies. They would sort of evolve out of that. So often like I would have been playing this and I'm in this in the hotel room with record on the voice memos. But it's the music memos that adds the drum machine. And there's this drum thing and suddenly it's like, oh, hang on a sec, and that's good because the one's shifted. And I've got this idea, this kind of vocal melody. I'm mumbling here, you can hear. Mm. Somebody do, somebody don't get you right. Midnight sun, fade for wheels and ahead of fun. Then days a week and ahead no fun. So that's how that evolves. So basically, I played that to Flood. And when you heard that, you know, you were suddenly like, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. Because I thought the original guitar, the first guitar, that sounded like brass to me. Yeah. Right. Wow, yeah. Like a soul song, yeah. an old R&B song. And I remember Ed was playing me this, and I was kind of, oh, yeah, I get yeah. it now, totally. Drums are a bit weird, but I'll... Yeah, the I'll, drums are weird on that, because they were added after. Yeah. And I'm going, yeah, all right. A lot of people will know my speciality is not timing. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also a game that can quite often happen in the studio. Where's the one? Where's the one? Right. And 
I am a total Luddite. If I can't get it, I just get really frustrated. I just think, I'm the common person. I don't want my brain to be going like, I can't feel it, I just want to relax. So I'd left that debate for the time being. And then he played me that melody. And then... Uh, we well, the next thing we go to Plastinum. So we convene with the band, as we've explained, in Plastinum. And what happens, so this is about day eight. And it's all been going, it's been good. Everyone's getting old. We haven't got anything really yet. For me, Olympic is like, it's the mother track. It's the key track. It's the heart of the record. And I'm thinking, God, this is going to be this hard to do. And I remember we set up on the Friday night to do on the Saturday. And you were getting the train back at like two in the afternoon. So we had a time limit. And we set up and we hadn't got an arrangement. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle eight then outro which is kind of going back to the verse riff but how we would do that and it was one of those magic moments and you know a guitar part had emerged that i'd found for the end part which is on the record which is a major part that and i was like oh, wow that's good and how does that fit in and take four is that magic moment when arrangement band engineers producers you know, Quincy Jones calls that moment when God walks through the room. And I remember I looked over at Flood because Flood sat in a chair and I, like we we're like halfway through the song and it's happening. And I've got the spine tingle and everybody's like, and I'm getting the spine tingle now remembering that. And I looked over at Flood and he's like, fuck yeah. And <laughs> it's one of those absolutely magical moments. So they, they don't happen that often in a studio or as a musician that these kind of, it's like another force happens. And it was... That was the other thing, working with an amazing production team and amazing musicians. Omar's playing in it is extraordinary. You know, Nathan is doing stuff. He's just, he brought in another key through his playing and David's just doing this sublime groove. It was just magic. So once we had this and we got this take, this is take four and I'll play a bit of it. It's like, okay, we've got gold. I can die now and I'll be happy. Literally those moments. And We've once, got all the vocals done yeah, by this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the vocals were to come. I didn't know what I, I did. You've I knew the, the demos. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any lyrics. I knew the feeling of it, and I'll just, I'll just shut up and play this. So I'll play the star, and then I'll play a bit of the the outro because the outro is really when we were really cooking. Mm. So you hear the looping pedal, Davey on guitar. So that's Omar and Nathan. Yeah, man. And they just kicked in <sighs> together like that. Unbelievable. Wow. Mm. The quality of the players, there were a lot of discussions about where the one was because you, that was a surprise. That was like a pickup into the yeah. downbeat. Mm. So you're, you're naturally sitting there counting off the, the drum loop, but you've actually got to go and go like yeah. that. So it's very counterintuitive, but that's the quality of the people involved. But yeah. So you got that, because it's a long song, we won't play it all. Fast forward a bit. So you got this bit, which you recognize. 
Oh, that bit of feedback. I always remember that. So I've come in on the guitar here because that this is kind of like one of those weird Ed guitar things that only Ed can do. And it's it's not great skill, but it's just idiosyncratic playing. Move to the end. So we're back in that riff again. I mean, drumming. And the groove feels so good. I mean, like, David coming up with that high, this bit. I mean, I'm in heaven at this point because I, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, just hold it together. Play the guitar, get your parts, you know, stay in there. Don't get too excited. I'm happy because I can get my train home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, I know what's to come. Yeah. David's part and we're, I want it to be like the, the house party, like the great, band at a house party. We were all figuring this out and I thought, okay, I've got this guitar part, it's gonna come in now. Here it goes. And it's, it was just that thing where you almost, we did a version of it, and this was take four, and each, we're just, just tweaking each version, and we didn't need to talk that much about it, we just knew. And Nathan's bass here, oh my god. I mean, he, he totally put it into a different place, the whole song at the end. That and, it, you know, a great player will do that. I didn't have to tell him to play those notes. He knew. And the playing is just exquisite. They do that thing, Nathan and Omar, where they can play a lot of notes, but the groove is so good. And it's kind of, you know, it's not like, they're not showing off. They're just loving it. And they, that's what they do. They just feel it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we had. And, and, and so basically the whole, we've got the whole arrangement now. We've got our template. Mm. And we always had that end. And, and it was to keep that spirit. And then... We go on the journey <laughs> yeah so good to hear that though yeah so right? good amazing so that's take four did you carry on doing more takes nope. no, no. You, because you knew that we was, laugh we knew that. he's yeah. got to get yeah. trained we're like what's yeah. the point there's no yeah. point we yeah. knew it was there saturday let's go down a pub yeah, yeah. <laughs> but isn't it interesting? so that was day eight and often you know those moments those golden moments you think they might come at the end of a session in the middle of the night or yeah. something like that but this is actually about one o'clock one o'clock in the afternoon yeah. oh yeah yeah it is a great myth that it has to be dark oh, yeah. and there has to be like people in different states of whatever. Mm. I've made some of the most intense, darkest music in broad daylight at three o'clock in the afternoon yeah. or 10 o'clock in the morning. I agree that yeah. I, I find like the more I do it, like late at night, I'm just losing my thing. I'm much more focused in the afternoon, early evening. 
it doesn't have to be three o'clock in the morning. It does for some. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's about the collective. Some people are better in the morning, some people are better at night. But when you're all working together, I think the creative process at its truest essence is the only time we're in the present mm. because you lose sense of time mm. and anything else. It just becomes this innate process that you sort of don't know what's going on. And then once it's finished and it's a bit like a bubble has burst, it's like, oh, right, we're back in here. But you just know mm. if you start fiddling, a lot of times that's the ego, the insecurities, and that, that's when it becomes difficult. So when you have something like this on day eight, it was a great sense of relief because I was starting to get a little bit, ugh, I was just trying to plan the next stage mm. and thinking, well, maybe there are a couple of drum loops. But no, this came yeah. out. So from a letting off of, you know, like confidence building it was great mm. however the eight days were vital to get to that place recording is literally i think the recording of people's emotions how they're interacting so that's why it's a long journey and that's why i don't like spending a lot of time looking at computers because mm. i think that's not what it's about yeah, and we've got you've got what you also we've got this live song, but it's not the finished version. No, you know I know that from being in Radiohead that you get a performance that you capture on computer and tape or whatever, and you've got the spirit and the vibe of it. But then the craft begins, how you flesh it out, how you build it up, and that was a big thing on this. I mean, you know, I wanted to keep the energy of the end, but we knew that we had to do something different to the front end of the song. Yeah. Rather than being a live band in a room, it needed to feel more produced. It needed to come from a different place. So by Christmas, we worked on it a bit because we were vibing on it. So come back to the studio here and we've got a mix of, I don't know what this is like, but this is the mix we had of Christmas. So we've fleshed it out a bit. and Maybe there'll be some vocal ideas. You ready? <laughs> so here we go. bit more give a guitar there are a lot of overdubs you can hear them it's spongy this point listeners and viewers you're not in the world of quicksand and molasses <laughs> Trying to find the vocal, got the vocal melody, but not the words yet. I haven't found the top line for the chorus. Yeah. 
I remember there were things in here that were all right on the vocals, but you can hear a lot of Omar's drums still in the, that great Tom stuff in there. So that's what we had by, by Christmas. We've sort of fleshed it out a bit. Uh, we reconvene in the new year. <laughs> Gonna have to sit down. Oh, sorry. Yeah. We reconvene in the new year and I'll play a little bit of where we... February, so this is the end of Feb, or no, beginning of Feb, and we're really in the deep mire, sonically. Uh, this for me was my lowest ebb, I think. <laughs> Grey. Grey. <laughs> Has many shades. Okay, <laughs> so let's see what we've got here. Better sound at the beginning. Just the change of one. Yeah, oh God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. A different one. So it is noticeably different. It's a bit more sparky, less spongy. Bit more dynamic, more like the brass you're talking about, brass guitars. That guitar in the background that you hear sounds a bit like a underwater xylophone. Help me! <laughs> Drowning! <laughs> I actually like that sound, but it's not right for the song. <laughs> <laughs> so you know you so, get the gist of it so those changes are just in the mix they're just in how you're mixing it together mm. or there's just <sighs> trying to find the right sounds trying to find the right sounds there was a lot of issues about where's the one yeah we had uh, to let go of that didn't we and we make it straighter yeah because it was all i like i was hanging back to that voice memo that you heard with that weird that one in Iceland, and on this music memo app on the iPhone, it'll add drums afterwards. And I did that, which you heard, and it put the one in a different place, and I thought, oh, that's great. But I think it was like one of those brilliant detours that kept me detoured for about four years, and I became obsessed with it. And then I just thought, what's the point? Why are you, why are you doing that? You know, I love that thing. I've always loved that thing. I loved where you didn't know where the one is or in, you know, in Led Zeppelin with Bonham would do kind of like some kind of shuffle. So the, you know, I love all that shit. And I was just trying to crowbar it into this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, so we got to that. And, the, you know, I won't even play the stuff that we got to in the summer because by June, oh, maybe I do for a laugh because yeah. it'll be really bad. Okay, let's do it for a laugh. This is June 9th. You don't get a lot of people this prepared <laughs> <laughs> to wear the washing I think before it, it's washed. Do you know, but I think it's really important because I think, like, and my experience of this as well with radio, there are times when it sounds really shit, you know, and Johnny Marr said this to me once. He said, don't be scared to sound shit. And by sounding shit, you can swing back the other way very quickly yeah. a lot of the time. And quite often you're slurping around in your own... Uh, doom and misery thinking oh my god and somebody will come in from the outside and go wow that sounds amazing <laughs> yeah. and you know, suddenly you pick yeah. up on this like oh yeah we don't have to be the victim we don't have to just <laughs> wallow in this misery yeah. for yeah. any longer so this is 9th of june 2018 i haven't heard this <laughs> be prepared all right oh dear <laughs> that's a bad start already oh shit. <laughs> 
better guitars. This is a real, real guide vocal, obviously. Sounding pretty good though at the beginning, not bad. Sounding more like it full. Kind of getting there vocally. Yeah, it's definitely coming into focus. Yeah. It was too big at the beginning. It was too much. I remember, like, it's great, and it would have great if this was a three and a half minute song. But we got another eight. We got eight <laughs> and a half minutes of this. It was too much at the beginning. It needed to go, go somewhere else. So, again, at the end of the summer. I've been on tour with Radiohead. September, I know we're about to reconvene. I listen to the tracks, like I said before, and I go, oh my God, this sounds shit. And of course, that's I'm being melodramatic because there's just a lot going on and it didn't have a lot of focus. Yeah. So that was when we went back in and that six-week period at the end of September, October in 2018 was amazing. That it was... Just essentially pulled all the stuff that we'd been working on off... We'd now got the melody consolidated, the lyric yeah. consolidated. Which is really important as well. That's the other thing for this song, was that thing where if you get the lyric right, it pulls it all into focus. It suddenly sharpens it all up and it makes sense of the arrangement. Even changing, you know, getting the last three lines right, suddenly it makes such a difference. There's a, a, a schoolboy error that you can do in the studio is if you don't have a vocal to focus on, you forget that there's a voice going to be there. You're not listening to it. Maybe it's the guide. Maybe it hasn't been written. And you start putting in all this extra stuff. And you go, wow, this sounds amazing. These panpipes flitting around in <laughs> stereo. Oh, my God, you know, the bongos. Oh, I couldn't want for anything more. The moment the voice goes in, you go, oh, that's really confusing. Oh, can you just take all the panpipes out from it? Uh, Oh, the bongos, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, now I can hear the voice. Great, we just wasted two weeks just getting those panpipes and bongos in there, and now they're gone. So, always try and listen with the voice in because mm. it's a guide, but it's also a guide in the sense of a Sherpa to lead you emotionally because the space is really important. You listen to songs from 15, 20 years ago, there's no chords. You're lucky if there's a bink, you know, and there's a bass line and somebody wobbling away on the top. And it's your favourite song. You don't need to be told. In fact, it's like doing a disservice to the listener. Give them some imagination where they can feel free to make this song the greatest, happiest, uplifting moment for them in their lives. No, I agree with you. I mean, like as, as a guitarist, I've always tried to find 
the least amount of notes to play because silence is as important as a note that you play. And I know that's become a cliche, but it is. And I've always liked music with space. So one of the things I was trying to do on this record is I know we filled it up, but was to create more space. And I think that's what, when you, have you got the multi-track? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of the session. And it, the difference in all the things that you go through that they were there and we pulled stuff out and it just, it suddenly was like, oh, it's found its right space because there is space in there. Yeah. So, I mean, all the time we were using the original session from Plastinum. Uh, so we start off, we've got the real drum. So you can hear the spill. Yeah. So we're not doing any tinkering. We had done tinkering, but why I let everybody, including myself, go down that garden path when instinctually the groove is just amazing. So that's always been there. And where's the bass? So this is Nathan's bass. But we went back to a bass for the verses that I'd done, didn't we? Yeah. Do you want to go back before that so we get the yeah, verse? Yeah, I'm just trying to see where the bass is, your bass. Ah, here we go. Sorry, Ed, I didn't quite mean to do it. Like, <laughs> That's my bad bass playing. As brutally as that, but... Compared to the smoothness of Nathan in the chorus. So there's... Yeah. Now, the verse groove... This sounds all great. We played, Rich and I played tambourines on top again, really important. But it's got to work with the existing groove. And what's the drums? What's the, well, now, the electric drums? Yeah. So this is a mix of basically all electronics. Yeah. And in a moment... Omar is now in and he's coming, you can hear him in the background. And elegantly mixed by Mr. Alan Mulder. So you go, you don't notice that they're in, yeah. but they're adding something. Yeah. So the verse bass is going along with Ed, and then we've swapped now to the chorus, where it's back to Nathan. So this is the second chorus. Yeah. If we go back to the top of the song, because what you did with the vocals, and also the start of the song. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was. We fine. should get all of this stuff in, because we. So what we've got there, suddenly when we had that basically that loop what sounded like the loop for me it's like yes this is it it's got an intensity there's a, a closeness to it it kind of informs how the vocal should be now so the vocal felt like it should be really close and almost dry this is floods wizardry in a plug-in <laughs> love this the bells The grooves, you know, you just—it's like when you when you've got something like this in the studio, the groove just—you just feel it. It's like, oh yeah, this—you can hear this for hours. Yeah, totally. And the vocal, close. Because mm. what I was trying to find is like, I tried it high. Tried yeah. it, how should it be? Once you got the sound of it, like, okay, now it knows, know how to be, and then comes the second vocal, the high one. We're using the the harmony to add dynamics yeah. as it's going along, so you don't have to bring a load of other stuff. Yeah. In. 
And your Brit, he added a, like a chorus to the vocal of that, which I love. Gave it that kind of, kind of slightly synthetic sound. Now the chorus is going panoramic, which I wanted it to do. It gets widescreen. It's like you're drifting, you're flying high above the earth. It's kind of slightly cosmic, celestial. Juno 60. I thought humble Juno 60. Yeah. <laughs> And it becomes, it's like uh, the vocal becomes intimate, it's, it's emotional. I always thought this guitar was a bit like, we did this guitar about that time, that it's kind of like a glam guitar or something with that kind of slap back. this point now just coming up this is where the song starts in the background it's starting to morph we've got the original drums coming back in like at a volume and then we'll get the basses changing over in a moment like on the top of the chorus So now we've got the full old rhythm track, full old bass. We've got the new drums, obviously the vocals. But you've also got, if I can just find where David's guitar is. Yeah, a guitar I did just for Christmas. And then... That was important. I, I always like it kind of, you know, you're at different stages when you work on something, you hang on to bits. So you think, no, I, that really works. That's. And this is the original, original, original guitar. From Plastinum. Yeah. And then at, you know, various stages in the previous months, we've kind of embellished this part. But the essence of it is really what it was. This wasn't hard. It was getting that first part of the song distinct enough from this so it's been intimate it's opened up for the choruses and now we're really flying this is like the rave part in the song this is like the you know and there was talk about editing this part and trying to yes, make it <laughs> trying to make it shorter and I was just like you could do, but it felt like a whole piece in itself. And this you is did try editing it yeah, as well, yeah. didn't you? It yeah. was rubbish. <laughs> just the, 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 to the, myself, the, if nothing else. Well, I thought it was, but everyone else thought it was great, you know. <laughs> just and my personal point of view. But that's a very interesting point. Maybe I don't like it the length it was, and I tried doing what I thought it could be. Yeah. But Ed didn't like it. Yeah. And Really, in the greater scheme of things, am I pleasing myself or should it be Ed's record and his is the final decision? You know, it's not really going to change the earth on this particular song, me taking out four bars. You, and you're going to argue it only if you think I'm an utter and complete madman. And that's, 
it's like that in the studio. If you think somebody's like, okay, I'm willing to be wrong here, and I've done that a lot, but if you think they're completely mad and they're deliberately trashing a track and it's ruined, that's when you fight, right? Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. And sometimes, as the producer, you do that deliberately so that, you know, the passion comes out. Yeah. You're completely mad. But we're really now this end part here now we've got the the omar's drums are right up and the bass we've got david's guitar we've embellished it a bit but we've got the vocals and that we've i've found a vocal melody and line that wasn't there so if uh, i take out the electronic drums and there we go we're pretty much back to the jam Mm. Problem solved then. It only took how many months? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was a year, but remember as well. It, like for me, it wasn't a full year because I had two Radiohead tours in that time, and it's like putting on another head completely. I can jump from this into Radiohead because Radiohead is a familiar thing, and I can put that head on very easily. Jumping from Radiohead into this, there needs to be a decompression period for mm. me. It's like putting on that lead singer head again. And that's the least familiar place for me. So it's the one that takes a bit harder to get into. Yeah. So yeah, it's basically that's what yeah. you have. Fantastic. It's really interesting because in effect you have the the original voice memo and yeah. then you have the jam and it's almost like the fight of trying to kind of combine those both things that you loved. Yeah. and combine them in such a way that worked yeah. and that could realise what you're trying to do. And obviously, it works so fantastically. Yeah. We were very lucky because we had that plastinum version at the beginning, the live version. It's if you've got the magic, you've got an essence of the magic early on, then you've got something in the bank. You've always got that. But if you're trying to find that magic, that's much harder. So even though you go down all these different musical journeys on the way, if you've got that, you can always come back and, you know... That, yeah. And it's... Nowadays, it can be sometimes very difficult to get that spark because so many things are programmed. There's a lot of digital stuff going on so that maybe it's slightly unfair weight is placed on the vocal, which sometimes can be the only real in quotes unquotes thing on there and sometimes it's impossible to deliver what is wanted and you don't ever want to put that pressure onto a singer to have to deliver it's like they now i hear the track it's in this guise now it makes sense now i can perform which is why a lot of times you might not get the lead vocal almost until like in the middle of a mix i mean i firmly believe much to a lot of people's <laughs> frustration that you're always recording until it's finished yeah so we're going to move from olympic to another song now long time coming and it's interesting because we talked about brazil and olympic which represent one side 
of this album mm. and one side of the music that you've created. Yeah. And there's another side to it, which yeah. is a lot more intimate and a lot more mellow and a lot slower in pace as well. Yeah. And Long Time Coming helps represent that side. Yeah. And for me, as a listener and a, as a fan, those two sides of the album are so strong. You know, they could stand alone, I think, yeah. to a certain extent. You could wow. have, well, I think they work really well. And it's often, it's it's through listening to it, to the album, that you realise this. Because the first few tastes we've had of the Earth album have been, you know, Shangri-La, Brazil, the kind of... The big ones. The big ones. Yeah. You know, and, and I think in some ways they were a way of saying, this is EOB, this yeah. is Ed O'Brien on yeah. his own, doing something that stands alone and is different from Radiohead, but also is different from your other members of Radiohead and yeah. the work that they've done, yeah, you know, definitely. Um, which I think you probably felt that you needed to to do. I think subconsciously I did. It's interesting. Only when it's come out have I realised how much is kind of a reaction to where you've come from. Because I would never, I never would want to kind of do something because, well, I'm doing it because it's different from... But I think deep down, I, I guess I shone more of a light on the up joyful tracks because maybe that's not a very Radiohead thing. And that comes from a genuine place within me. So I was shining more of a light on it. But yet, you're right. And as equally important is the sort of slightly more intimate, melancholic side, which is, you know, represented by the other tracks that you, you know, Long Time Coming, I don't know. Cloak of the Night. Uh, yeah, Cloak of the Night. Exactly, those songs. And that feels like, for me, that's a much more familiar Radiohead place, terrain. But you're right, it's this is important to me. And, and also what I was very keen on, what I wanted to do on the record, I wanted to have, I like contrast, I like, I like light and shade. If something's going to be big, I want it to be big and beautiful. If it's going to be small, I want it to be small and wooden and intimate. And so... That was, again, really, really important. And Cloak of the Night was an example of, you know, me playing the guitar and singing simply just me and Laura Marling. Laura came in for an afternoon and we sang that together and played it. And we didn't want to add anything else to it. It was just that's what it is. And it, for me, it was the perfect way to end the record, to bring it back to that simplicity of two people and one instrument. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think the first time you make a record, whether it's a band or as a solo artist for myself, you're figuring out how to do it. And I think that's what I figured out a lot on this record. It was just like, you're getting a lot out of your system. You're getting a lot. And next time it will be different. You oh, know, tricky second album. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure as well. We haven't spoken about it. I'm not sure whether, you know, I want to make an album like we've made just now. It's interesting. My whole thing, and I, we haven't spoken about this, but my whole thing is, now like why don't you just make the track when you're writing it then you don't have to deal with demos that's a version that's what you do and you finish that then make another one and then you can release that we're living in an age where and then maybe at the end of it you bundle it all together and make a record i mean you know who knows but yeah i don't know how we got onto that but how i got onto that <laughs> i think it's the fact that you can never repeat no and the worst thing is to be a facsimile. Yeah, never repeat an experience. No. I've had that Radiohead and you you know, you've gone somewhere to record and then you've had an amazing experience and then you go back there. It's never the same. No. You know, it's like going to Glastonbury. Don't expect to have the same experience you had 
in 2016, in 2017, each Glastonbury is different. Don't, and you might have had an epic year one year, but don't, it's like never repeat that experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on that, so this song starts off, again, I demoed it. And I got this instrument called, I bought it in LA. I really like mariachi music. And part of the mariachi band, the five different instruments, the high guitar, it's called a viola. And I just love the sound of mariachi. It does something to me. It instantly invokes the feeling of, I don't know, love, of warmth. Um, it's something about the Mexican culture that I really love, Hispanic culture. So I demoed this song with Ian and I kind of had the vocals and this is what we started with on the demos back in 2013. multi-tracked violas the old fellas as <laughs> I was just I would call them do you just get the old fellas out <laughs> a lonely city girl looks out into a world lost in every So the vocal melody is there, the lyrics are there. And interesting, this was the first song that I demoed. And when I heard my vocal on it, I was just like, oh, uh, okay, I can sing this, I can do this album. And this is the first vocal that I wasn't kind of wincing on from the demos. I mean, that sounds great. I mean, talking of releasing tracks as you've done them, if I got that sent to me, I'd think, yeah, I'll play that. Would you? Sound, yeah, totally, honestly, and, I would. And, and this is the dilemma, and it's very interesting you talk about, like, why not now Yeah. just start something and then finish it, and it doesn't have to be ten things at once, because contextually, all the other work that had been done on the other songs meant that even though this was the first thing that gave you the light yeah. around the other ones it wasn't quite as brightly shining no mm. yeah and the trap you can fall into is to overexert yourself into making this one shine brighter than all the other ones yeah so this is where you get the problems with an album where usually the first song that was written or was the concept for the album or the one the label loves and there's a section here that we cut so it's this bit i put in at the end but never made the final maybe i should just talk over this bit <laughs> <laughs> i like this end part yeah i mean this you know it was interesting when you're putting an album together, I was kind of aware of, like with this song, I've got so many songs that have other bits. It's like, okay, cut it there. And that's what we did, and it was right for the album. Because sometimes 
the bit that you like the most is the bit that holds the whole song back. I mean, we tried a lot of things <laughs> to put it into context, but pretty much when it got lopped, yeah, it was suddenly the whole song made sense. Made sense in the context of itself and the other tracks. And the other tracks, it had to be shorter. It just had to mm. be because there were so many long tracks. But again, if you were releasing tracks at a time, you'd have gone like, okay, it would have done the full version. So we took it to Plastinum and we did this extended play out. We still had the violas on there and, you know, we got the band playing on it. And Catherine and I worked on quite, we went over to Hoxha Studios just down the road in West Hampstead and Catherine and I worked a lot on this and we basically attacked it. <laughs> so that demo is 2013. This is a mix of the track on 6th of December 2017. Change of key, mistake, number one. I hold my hand up. I can't, I, I, was that you? <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> We've got the sounds of... Space. Yeah. slightly overproduced already you can hear it the vocals are too big and lush and so you get a sense of that I'll go to the end because I give you give you an idea of what we've been <laughs> doing at the end <laughs> I mean, it's not bad, but it's not great. It's not right. You know, it's it's, it's that thing. That's right. It's not good or bad. It's not good it's or bad. There's something, but it's just not right. There's a lot of ideas. We're trying to, you know, oh, we'll put some tape delay feedback on it, oscillate it. I put an electric guitar that's really low in the mix, or that's really yeah. We'll just put a really nasty guitar on it which you can hear feeding back. Pure beautiful music to my ears. <laughs> and now that's, this is Nathan singing from Plastinum, this whole, we've got this outtake propelled by your harp. Yeah. So another song with a long ending not looking great for our hero <laughs> <laughs> but there's again you know you hold on to things like this you go there's something about this that's really nice and if it was standalone yeah like this version mm, yeah you, you could do an ep of yeah. all the versions mm, yeah wow because it, it's different enough from the other one and there's a bit you go oh you go actually we could expand on that but that's not the core the thing is you can get sidetracked so quickly because you you suddenly hear something of potential. And actually what I realise is those things should be like, no, don't do, that will be the basis of another song. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like, I remember that end bit, I was thinking, oh, this sounds a bit Talk Talk-esque. It's like, oh, brilliant. And I was just like, oh man, you know, it's, 
you can't get everything into a song mm. you know and that's what you have to realize isn't it you have to you have to be disciplined you go no stop right there stop it no stop so we had that and we're very lost at this stage <laughs> so we kind of stay in we're back in the sonic trench so we come to june and i think we've got a version here let's have a listen to june because there is, i won't play you there's another two other versions where it's Led just one? yeah the one with the les pauls and it's like well maybe we should just, just snip it for a laugh right <laughs> just it's yeah this is rubbish some people might like this i quite like this i one. know you knew <laughs> i knew you would i do i know you do <laughs> There's something about it. But it's quite different again. It's very different. Yeah. It hasn't got the warmth. I tell you what, it's got, got your gnarliness in it, hasn't it? I'm, 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 <laughs> I don't know. And that was mean. the thing that it, it's... A lonely city girl. You know. See, I love that. Looks out into the world. Yeah. It's like questioning. <laughs> and, but, to, and to me listen I get that I totally get it but it was like no on this record I want to be more direct I kept on saying it has to be more direct because actually being direct is the hardest thing being a little bit obscure and contrary is easy dark 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 <laughs> yeah darkness is easy is a lot easier to me that was a cop out it's just like yeah I get it but you know, and I've probably done it when I was 28, but the hard part was to try and get something of that initial demo, the joy of it. And so this is a really, really important part because Ed is now fighting for the song. Yeah. Mm. And the different versions, we all like bits and, but now he's coming out fighting. Yeah, I'm going like, this is, I'm like, I know you like this. And you know, when we did this, I'm like going, we're, we're tracking upstairs. I go, yeah, this is kind of cool. We've got distorted guitars and we're all going, yeah, this is good. But when you sit back and you go, nah, it's not right. So we got that. And then we go to fast forward to June the 9th, long time coming, 2018. See what we've got here. Got an acoustic. Here we go. This has got Rhea on. Yeah, this has got Rhea, his, my, his daughter. My daughter came in here for some work experience. I'm a terrible parent. <laughs> <laughs> what do I make her do? Sing. Sing on this it track. It was beautiful as well. It was perfect. A lonely city girl Double track vocals. Looks out into a world Lost in every way find the light and love divine to make it go away long time coming so that i've added some guitars back in maybe that this summer but this time just before Kind of trying to work out the the vocals. I hadn't got quite the lyric. Oh yeah, here. Hang on a sec. Distorted guitars come back in. 
now the roadmap for where it's ended yeah totally we're, we're trying all the different things yeah. so I asked Rhea if she would sing well I told her she would sing um, because I wanted to get a sense of the male and female personalities which were coming out in the lyric and I wasn't sure that I I was getting that and it's a bit of an obvious thing to do to get a man and a woman to sing it but it's that she'll kill me. That is beautiful, isn't it? I know it is, but it doesn't matter. I'm that yeah. dad. She's going to murder me. <laughs> she doesn't need to know. <laughs> she'll find out. It's Trust great. It's, you know, I know. I think it's, it's, it's amazing. beautiful. But, and also all the distorted guitars, the point, the chord they came in on was always a chord where it started to change. And for me, when it had gone into this middle section, which is like a good 16 bars later, it didn't feel like the right place. And we'd gone around the houses and Ed had said, I really want to make this song direct, intimate. So we started to imagine in a bedroom, what's it sound like just playing in a bedroom? Very humble. And it never seemed to go to the place where I imagined it could go to until this version yeah. of it this has started to hint so we're now at the end and it doesn't sound a bit like this weird thing that's come on it sounds reflective and it's started to make more sense to me as a song without having to be so heavy-handed about it yeah and i think that what we you know it's interesting hearing that is that what you realize is that that end that we had the reason we chopped it off was with a song like this there's a warmth and there's a love and there's a sadness, but you want to make it sound beautiful, but you don't, you can make it sound too sweet, too beautiful. And that end section, the chords, if it's just the VOL and the voice, then it's kind of okay. But when you start adding other stuff, it just heightens it. So, you know, what you were always looking for, and I didn't realize there was, was just some darkness to underpin it, to offset it, offset the warmth. And that's why I just lob the end off and make it, darker and the reverb and stuff that you put on and maybe we should go to it now and because this might be a case in point that people would imagine that the way it ended up was because i'd suggested it this was ed so we're sat in the studio and we've got the track in a you know it's in a great shape and if i play it from it's been a long time coming such a long time waiting so here we go, this is the bass comes in, rather than a big distorted guitar. Which is Nathan from Plastinum. And right. this is the point, that's the transition point to me. And it's going along. We've lost the middle bit, and then all these guitars come in, and we're playing out with different ideas for the end. And then Ed just goes like, boop, and he cuts everything, just like on a whim. And we're all looking at each other and going, Wow, what's left? The original jam thing that was yeah. going underneath. <laughs> 
went, great, that's it. And you you even went, no, 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 that yeah. sounds a bit weird. Yeah. I go, no, he's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And it fitted right into the record. It was so right because where it just needed a more dark and more kind of, for want of a better word, mysterious ending. And cosmic, I, a big part on this record, calling it Earth, there's a cosmic dimension. It's looking down upon the Earth. And that, to me, with the end of it, sounded like that floating in space orbiting the planet. And also, as human beings, we're not one-trick ponies. So this song encapsulates so many different emotions. And they're not like boop, boop, boop. Some are, but others just creep up. And the idea of darkness, it's more, there's a different way of looking at things. Um, it might have been a moment that you were thinking, Meh. and then when it all cuts, you go, oh, oh, that's very dark. But then because of the chords on the jam that's going underneath, there's an optimism about it. So it's it's a really complicated thing, and it's all happened as a sudden cut, but there have been all these sort of things going on underneath, and that's the way the whole song is. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so at the end, there's no violas at all. No violas in there it, at yeah, all. Yeah, they wow. didn't make it. And yet they do sound so great. You still got <laughs> to get you, them on a record. <laughs> Are they on the record at all? No, no. It's a hard process. Yeah. Making <laughs> it is, I know it? it's a great sound. I, I do it. It's evocative. It's mm. very. It's again. It's a kind of a, a melancholic sound. It's, and I think that's sort of one thing I love about you know mariachi. There's a sadness. Yeah. And there's a sadness in that sound. Yeah. They yeah. might have made it, you know. What? In the distorted guitar phase. <laughs> You're just saying that to appease <laughs> no, me. No, 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 no. I, I've got a feeling. I don't think I can actually. No, no, we'll, well, we can leave that. We can yeah, leave that. That's part of the um, the enigma. part of the mystery. Yes, yes yeah. exactly. <laughs> and talking of mystery, I and mean, when we actually have a couple of questions that we always ask people when they come on tape notes, um, one of them is a kind of simple one you could say, which is about a piece of kit. Is there a piece of kit that either of you hold dear that you have to use, or you turn to in times of need, or? Is there anything? I mean, Flood as a producer, I mean, it, it, some things have come through this conversation that um, you like distortion, you like feedback, and you like <laughs> the darkness that you can bring. You know, but how do you achieve that? Is there a, a go-to weapon of choice? Well, if I was specific to myself, I would say my own intuition, thereby to anybody else, bring yours. Hmm. It's just as valid as anybody else's. I personally like the Shaw Beta SM58. I have recorded everything from an orchestra to well-known lead vocals through to guitars, you name it. You can record anything on that anywhere, anyhow. Obviously, if you have a microphone amplifier and a tape machine. But as far as this record goes, I would say the humble... Electro harmonics memory man. Yeah, that's what I would say, really. That's kind of been my favorite pedal. We put vocals through it, we put everything through it. It has a warmth and it has a character of its own. And I used to call it the God pedal because, you know, as a guitarist, you have it at the end of your chain and it just made it, it made the sound fantastic. So that would be my go to. But I, I'm also aware as well of not relying on things that you rely on. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that's really important not to fall back on because I could say a sustainer guitar, but I didn't play that much on this record. I played some of the demos because 
again, I don't want to go down the path of least resistance. I want to learn. I want to carry on bringing in new stuff. Well, so We actually sort of said at the beginning of the process that the worst record we could make <laughs> was like the man who's known for reverb <laughs> working with the man who's known for being weird. <laughs> <laughs> so reverb is on very short supply on this record. Yeah. And directness and truth. Yeah. There's no weirdness. It's a pop record. I was trying to get away from weirdness, to be honest. Yeah. I, and maybe that's a shortcoming because actually one of the things I've realised subsequent is it's like, it could be weirder. But I was deliberately trying not to be weird. And we talked a lot about, you know, when we first started the friendship over school gates, we talked about pop music a lot. Because I said to Flood, I said, I love Holy Fire. That was one of the first things he said. He said, well, it's just pop music, isn't it? I was like, yeah, and it's great. And he's like, yeah, I love pop music. And, you know, two guys who aren't known for doing pop music, talking about their love for pop music and growing up in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that. It was really important. So we said we want to make a pop album. As in popular. Popular. Yeah. You know, it's not confrontational. It draws you in. It's very easy to make extreme. Sit there, as you say, like a bit of distortion, a couple of, <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah. I'm loving it. Boring. We can all do that. It's just the same as la, 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 go down the sweet shop and it's all lovely. I love life. Boring. You know, it's more complicated. And that's what both of us wanted yeah. in a way that's going to draw the listener in. And then once they're there, you listen to this album and you could probably listen to it so many different ways. There's so many layers going on underneath and we've illuminated a few. Mm. And that's what gives something depth, I feel, because you're starting to find the essence and this record has it in so much. And that's the thing. You can't make something that everybody's going to think is amazing, but you could try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got to try. Yeah, you've got to try. Um, the other thing we always like to ask is we're always searching for advice. Advice you've either been given or advice you would pass on in your various different experiences. You know, when you were starting out, was there somebody who took you to one side and just muttered three words that you've always clung to? Or maybe having been through everything you've been through, you've got something that you would pass on to somebody else? Yeah, I mean, there there are lots of things you can say, but I think just trust your intuition. Absolutely. Trust. You have to. Trust your intuition. Trust yourself and yeah. be honest. Yeah, be honest. What's the truth? Yeah. Be honest. That's If you follow that, you can't go far wrong. Yeah. Maybe in short term, you might say something that somebody doesn't like, but if they they feel it and they register it, then they accept it. They don't sort of mull over it. and. Just be yourself. And honestly, you don't have to have a degree in whatever. I mean, trust me, I am living proof. <laughs> I am still bumbling my way through. And it's fun. Yeah. yeah. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for inviting us into Assault and Battery, the legendary Assault and Battery. It's Alan's room. You better leave yeah, yeah, well, quietly. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Pleasure. so good to be able to talk about this album. Thanks, Really John. exciting. Thank you, that was fun. And have Because I think in some ways, you know, the two of you, this combination working on this record has been an important time for you both. You know, um, Absolutely. Yeah. Because you've kind of ended up challenging yourselves, even though you probably you didn't set to. out to 
kind of challenge yourselves in quite the way that you were thinking. It's for so sure. good. <laughs> so thanks a lot for doing that. And we should play out another track from the album that we haven't discussed or heard, just something that we can... You play what you want. Oh, wow. That's, That's your um, call. Leave it to me. Leave it to you. Well, I think... Oh, well, Flood's, well, gonna, Flood's suggesting Deep Days. Deep Days. Yeah, I'm up for Deep Days. Okay. All okay. right, cool. This is Deep Days then. This is EOB. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, head to our socials and on Instagram you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. Once again... Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.